0: Welcome to the Stude Media Podcast, number two. Another great episode. I said number two. Yes, uh, <laughs> let's not go there. I'm excited for Crabby. this one. Slick Mick Actually, Karch. Yeah. I mean, I love Slick Mick Karch. He used to host uh, Saturday night at rings or Saturday nights at ringside on the uh, on the 23 here locally in Minneapolis. What a
1: tradition here in Minnesota, especially too with the wrestling and all that kind of good stuff. And he really, really brought
0: it all. And this guy is a deep deep well of wrestling knowledge uh be it old school late 60s on i mean he the guy understands the wrestling business if you've
1: never seen wrestling or watch it on tv or whatever i think after listening to him you're gonna want to i think
0: yeah i think mick well you know he, he's got those those lovely pipes too right. you know he, he kind of just draws you in uh student media podcast episode number two if you want to find us uh, if you haven't already found us, I don't know how you'd be listening if you didn't find us. Uh, <laughs> we're at studmedia.com, Facebook slash Studmedia, and Twitter slash
1: Studmedia. Yeah, all good ways to hear these great guests we have. And, you know, if you have any show ideas or, or guest ideas, whatever, feel free to drop us a line and uh, let us know how we're doing.
0: Studmedia at com yeah. is a way you can get a hold of us uh, if you want to book a guest or uh, be on the show. Uh, obviously, media is... Just what it is—it's a big pot of all things media, For radio and TV and music and films and directors and actors and, and announcers and broadcasters and what am I missing, Kyle? Uh, bands, artists. Did you say that? Yeah, of course. You went with the band and the artist. Okay, it's a real good behind-the-scenes, though. Too,
1: we got to remember too—it's not just all the pro- promo stuff. It's it's a real good look into the real people doing this stuff. Correct. I think that's important because that motivates and and gets people jazzed up about. About this whole entertainment industry.
0: That's right. Well, let's get to it. Uh, Stewed Media Podcast, episode number two with Slick Mick Karch. <laughs>
1: How's this? Quick rundown. Kyle. Kyle, go yeah, ahead. Chime us in here? Am
0: I working? You sound fantastic. Nice. Yeah, it's the best the I've heard you all day. Of thank you. Show. Yeah, nice.
1: <laughs> we always need that.
0: <laughs> well, we couldn't, uh, we spared no expense on the amenities here for our uh, Stewed Media podcast today. Uh, Mick Karch, thank you for coming in. This is great. We're rolling. Man, I mean, the, the, the thing's awesome. going, this is awesome. This is
2: great. My pleasure. This is terrific.
0: And that's the show. Thank you. Amen. Thank you very All much. Right. Uh, Thank you guys. <laughs> no, yeah, you know, uh, weather's terrible outside. I mean, I know you only lived a few blocks away, but, I mean, we found you a nice warm room. We got you out of the elements. You know, we wanted to take care of you as much as we could. Sven Skarnestad is here, ladies and gentlemen, from WJM <laughs> AM Radio.
2: It doesn't get any bigger than this.
0: <laughs> I love Minnesota. And right? for any of you who haven't seen a uh, short film we did, uh, it's called Torval the Terrible. Based on a, uh, a a joke, I guess. Now, had this joke run through the the pro wrestling circles? I had never heard the joke. Because I've I've had people come up to me afterwards or, or send messages online, like saying, "Oh, I would heard that joke, you know, for many years or whatever." But Joe Joe Berglove, who wrote the film and, and starred as Senior Torval, uh, he he says he's been telling the joke for thirty years.
2: If it's not a knock dock joke, I haven't heard. It. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I, I got to sound off
1: on that for a second here. You know, the gun's got to come out a little bit here, but uh, that, that kind of pisses me off. You know, it's, it's not until something's famous or doing well that somebody all of a sudden says, hey, I want a cut of that.
0: Or, the, or they're saying that the joke was there. The first. joke was there. Yeah. What's right. up with that? Come on now. I like to look at it as just a good story. It was just a good story for. You well, know, you guys did a great
1: job uh, putting that all together.
0: Well, it yeah, was it a was, fun day. Yeah, was I'll was tell good. you what. I mean, it, what, we spent how long did we spend in that in that warm gym? I was there about thirteen hours. Thirteen to hours. Yeah, top it was it, it was now. thirteen to sixteen hours I think because I think you got there after we would, had already started working on the uh, on the ring. Yes. Getting the ring into the old high school gym, and uh, you know, I have to. Have, I can't go without saying thank you to John Olfski. The, uh, the athletic director over at Cooper High School Who allowed us to shoot and, and film in there But yeah, 13 hours You weren't outside in the cold You, you, you know, we put you in a, in a beautiful blazer
2: Yeah, okay <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that I just donated that thing back to the Goodwill That <laughs> was, week. I
2: mean that, Wally Carbo used to wear blazers like that I mean, that was, that was atrocious But perfect, you know Perfect for the, uh, for the period piece It was great
0: Right, and you know You, you kind of channeled your inner Wally for the for the For the role
2: isn 't that sad now if, if I really channel my inner wally i 'd be in jail i mean that 's the kind of guy Wally Carver right. was, but it, it was a blast that was so much fun working with everybody there that day and and, uh, and Pete huge of course and uh, and Nate Bash did a terrific job as the wrestlers they 're really talented i mean i don 't know if you 've ever seen them actually. Performing, you know, wrestling. I've seen Pete wrestle.
0: Nate. I think Nate had already retired by the time he and I had kind of connected.
2: Really, really, couple of great guys and I know they loved it. They've been talking about that ever since.
0: And speaking of wrestlers, former wrestlers, our own Loaded Gun.
2: Yeah, minor league though. It
0: might well.
1: It was all stuff. No, it was fun. You know, I love this business. It was. It's. It's a great business to be part of. When I first got into it, I never realized. I I don't think I even liked it. But when I went to a match one time, I kind of got jazzed and. And the rest is history, but uh that 's why I love backstories, especially of wrestlers and that 's why I was glad to hear that you 're our host today and, and i'd love to hear how you got started and oh,
0: where it all began well th- th- I can imagine that that story is what rooted from childhood I, I oh yeah
2: yeah you know it 's it's, it's funny a lot of people when I say you know how did you become a wrestling fan, especially the old time wrestlers. They were fans. They started out. They loved the business, you know, from the time they were kids. When I was nine years old, and I've told this story ad nauseum, but when I was nine years old, I'm uh, flipping through the channels, watching television, and all of a sudden I come to to All Star Wrestling, and Tiny Mills at the time he's a, about a six foot four inch lumberjack. They call him two hundred and seventy pound Tiny Mills, and the announcer was Marty O'Neill. I don't know if you remember Marty. Marty's all of about five six. And here I am, nine years old, and I see this monster grabbing Marty O'Neill by the lapels and shaking (laughs) him. And, you know, and he's, you know, Marty, you get me that match with Vern Gagne, blah, blah, blah. And Marty says, you know, don't take it out on me, take it out on Wally Carbo, whoever it was. And uh, I was hooked. I mean, from that point on, this is something that I wanted to watch. And and literally from the time I was nine, so we're going back years, uh, it's been wrestling for me every week, twice a week, three times a week. Um, it 's a passion, Nick Bockwinkle calls it a sickness but uh, but it 's a good sickness right it 's one that
0: you you know you never really get uh, cured of but right right so your first what was your first exposure outside of sitting in your living room? My
2: father and my grandfather took me to my first wrestling match at the Minneapolis auditorium. Got the date etched in my mind. It was May seventeenth 1960 and uh, main event. The tag team champions were Stan Crusher-Kowalski, our good friend Stan, uh, God bless him, and Tiny Mills, who has since passed away. They were the tag team champions at the time. And they wrestled Vern Gagne, and his partner was a a football player, an ex-football player from the Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Daddy Gene Lipscomb. And this was the main event. And what sticks out with me, back in those days, there were no barriers and no guardrails or anything else. So before the matches, kids would go up to the ring, and they'd, have their autograph pads. So it comes main event time and I'm trying desperately to get Vern Gagne's autograph. I mean, this guy was, was my hero. I'm just elated, and the guys look bigger than life at that point. You can just imagine, you're sure. barely, you know, knee high to the ring apron and you're looking at these, these monsters. And all these kids are getting their autographs and I'm the only one left. And my dad says, give it to Vern. And I said, what do you, th-? and Vern was reaching down to get the autograph pad Sign the autograph, and that's what I—I re- I couldn't tell you who won the matches that night. That's what I remember. And
0: for um, years after that, you needed to do that same process just to get Verne to sign your checks, right? Uh, what checks? <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't sign coins. <laughs> But, uh, you know, but like I say, it's been a passion, and from there, I, you know, when I was 13, 14 years old, I started editing fan club newsletters back with the yeah. old mimeograph machines and, and what have you, and it kind of evolved from there.
0: So you, you started as a fan. Yes. Right, and then you 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 must have evolved somehow into the business. I mean, you've you got to get your foot in the door at one point.
2: You know, how does that happen for Mick Karch? Back in the day, it was really tough. Today... Anybody who owns a pair of tights or a pair of shorts or a pair of... Well, I'm in luck. Yeah, you're ready. (laughs) You got the tights. (laughs) Hey, if you can sell three tickets for the next event, we'll give you the title. How's that? You'll you'll be the champ that night. Um, What had happened, again, I, I mentioned that I was doing fan club newsletters when I was 16, 17 years old. Always wanted to be in a wrestling announcer in my own hometown. That was it. I didn't care about going to New York. Or, and, of course, at the time, nobody knew that there was going to be a, an expansion. But uh, still doing the newsletters and so on and so forth. And then where things started to change a little bit, but still amazingly through the newsletters, 1971, a guy named Nick Bockwinkle is uh, wrestling at the Calhoun Beach Hotel. And we had seen Nick. Uh, the week prior at the Minneapolis Auditorium, we were Bachweigel fans. I mean, this guy was, like, off the wall. We hadn't seen anything like him. Not your, kind of your atypical wrestling heel, because he could put two words together, you wow. know, without <laughs> without salivating. And uh, we had held up a sign, you know, Nick is number one, Nick is the man, whatever it is, and we're up in the, in the catacombs in the Minneapolis Auditorium, and Nick points to us, you know, points to, to the sign. Well... An usher came and ripped the sign down because somebody had complained. Now, can you imagine today, if you don't have a sign, they don't let you in the building? Right. I mean, right. that's how things have changed. So uh, a week later, I, I talked to Nick at the Minneapolis auditor or at the uh, Calhoun Beach Hotel, and I said, you know, we held up the sign last week. Ah, yes. You know, I don't know if you remember it or not, but I asked to start a fan club for him. And to this day, Nick loves telling this story. He said, "You go ahead and you start a fan club for me, but." You get no financial help from me. You get no, no any kind of help. I will be impossible to deal with, impossible to reach. If you can work within those parameters, go ahead. Is that fine? That's so no, so no, no barriers in your way whatsoever? Absolutely <laughs> yeah. not. What, yeah, what was funny is that I had asked Bobby Heenan first before I asked Bachwinkle. I don't know if longtime wrestling fans will remember that the Dykeman Hotel in downtown Minneapolis was the home for the Minneapolis Wrestling Club and it was the headquarters of the AWA. So this is how I spent my childhood. You know, people are going to dances, they're you know, playing baseball or whatever. I'm at the Dykeman Hotel every Saturday afternoon sitting on the couch in the lobby waiting for the wrestlers to come in. And uh, Bobby Heenan came in one day and I kind of gingerly approached him. I said, Bobby, you know what? I'd, I'd really like to start a fan club for you. And Bobby says, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to <laughs> and, uh so that's that 's really how it evolved, and i got to say f- for everything that he w- was talking about, not helping us out. I could not have worked with or for a better guy than Bachwinkle. Mm. We had yearly conventions, people came in from out of town, um, Denver, Milwaukee, Chicago, the Bachwinkle Brigade, we called it, and Nick would oh, he was writing stuff for our newsletters, and he was meeting with us, and he posted for pictures and and that friendship kind of evolved into kind of getting a foot in the door for me in the announcing business, too. Right. So it's, it was <clears> – <throat> go ahead, Tony. I'm sorry. No, I was just going
1: to say, and then where did the pipes develop? I love your voice, and all of a sudden uh, was know, it then, or did you just develop it over the years?
2: Just uh, – I don't even, even want to say self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, what I wanted to do when I was growing up, I wanted to be a top 40 disc jockey. This, oh. is, this is this is what I want. I mean, I grew up in the era of the KDWB, WDGY, mm-hmm. you know, the Beatles coming to town and everything else, mm-hmm. and that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be like a Jim Dandy or a you know a, a Gene Gene Okerlund. Mm-hmm. Gene Leader was a, a WDGY disc mm-hmm. jockey. That's what I wanted to do. So it was always kind of, I'd sit at home and I'd make these these audio tapes, these cassette tapes that went nowhere. Never sent them. So I entertained myself mm-hmm. listening to them. But it was always, you know. Yeah, you know, it's the McStewart radio program, you know, WMKR, Minneapolis-St. Paul. You know, it was that kind of thing. And
0: uh, Top of the hour break right there. That was yeah, nice. there we go. 2020 news. That. Yeah, right. <laughs> 2020 news, yeah. So, did, I mean, was there any formal training? I mean, did you go no. to Brown or no. anything I, like that?
2: I took journalism classes at the U of M Broadcast Journalism. I was going to go to Brown. My brother had gone to Brown, and... Uh, the first job that they offered him was uh, like for $4 an hour in Hayward, Wisconsin. In BFE, yeah, that's, that's how they
0: do it at Brown. Yeah, yeah,
2: and uh, so I thought, nah, this isn't gonna work. Um, but when I was going to school, what, what happened when I was in college, I started college in 1969, and then by the time I was graduating, I wanted to be a journalist, one of these big-shot big journalists. Well, Watergate was breaking at the same time, so everybody is majoring in journalism. And uh, I didn't quite get that degree. I think I'm about a year shy. Um, but uh, yeah, I somehow or other, I always wanted to be involved in a radio, b wrestling announcing. So you know, it's,
0: you slap them together, and and you, you have an amazing career. You know, and now you're sitting with us.
2: Yes, kind of
1: like when I started, I, I went to my very first match. One of my uh, uh, roommates was uh, a camera guy for a show or whatever, and so I was sitting there. And I thought I would never like wrestling. I thought you know I tried it in high school, so I was still you know in that mindset of people grabbing your junk and all that kind of stuff. so <laughs> I thought, no way, man, but i 'll tell you what I was sitting there and uh you know you put acting and sports together that 's what you get and the crowd there there happened to be some um, children with developmental disabilities or whatever sitting there, and they just got into it and and I got into it the whole storyline and all that. so uh, I went to the party that night and joined the club the next day and uh and Restless history and there, your first
0: match you, you love this I, I don't know if he told you this story when we were on the set of Torval <clears throat> excuse me his first match he he gave himself a bump without telling anybody
1: well I didn't know how they bled ah. juicing so so what I did I had a black leather gloves on and I put an exacto blade in the finger of the glove ah. so I got thrown into the corner I had bleach blonde long hair and I, I slit my forehead once and I didn't know if I did it right so I went a oh. second time oh. stuck in my forehead I pull it out the blood just starts gushing out. The guy turned me around, clotheslines me, he said, "What the hell did you just do?" You know, and Ooh. even the coach back in the in the locker room, he's like, "Get the medical guy ready and stuff." What did he do? You know, and so they get me behind stage and they sew me up, and uh, they said, "That's not how you do it if you want to do so." Whatever, but uh, you gotta be careful. Yeah, you yeah, those turnbuckles re- 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 get really tough. So
0: that's how I get out of like sticky situations. I just use a razor if I'm like you know in a bad interview and I want to get out of there. I just say, "Oh, I'm bleeding. I'm out." Why you are you know, holding a razor blade, Kyle? You look yeah, like you're trying to get out on of your, your wrist. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, it's, it's your throat, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not that bad
0: here. Come on now. You can chime in a little bit more, Kyle. That's fine. So no. not, how do you I'm think good.
1: the business <laughs> has evolved over the years? And it's, it's quite a different thing, but it's still
0: at its roots. Is "evolved" the right word? That's, I, I was going to ask you that same question. I mean, yeah. it's evolved, but it has, it, has it devolved in some sense because yes. of?
2: Yes. Um, it depends on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go into a locker room and you talk to these 20 year old kids that are working today, and you explain to them the way it was back in the day, you know, they don't even want to hear it. You know, it's, it's I would say devolved because I'm an old school guy, you know, and I grew up where there were four lights above the ring. There were no pyros. Um, they were interviews, they weren't promos. Mm-hmm. There, there were regions. Yes. Oh, th- that's the biggest change, I think, in wrestling is, you know, you had the regional territories. I think at one point, I don't know how many, 35, 40, 50 territories in wrestling. Everybody, of course, had their own champion. And, you know, the old sports writers in the Minneapolis Tribune used to kind of blast that and call it, you know, Vern is the champion of the seven-county mosquito control district. Uh, (laughs) But in reality, um, they each had their own turf. And besides the big three, and I'm talking, of course, WWF, AWA, and NWA, you had all these regional promotions. They were in Portland and they were in Memphis and, and Los Angeles and, and what have you and, and Ohio. You don't have that anymore. You've got, you've got Vince McMahon and you've got TNA. And everybody every, else is independent, right? every, Yeah, and independent isn't even the word for it. And I hate to sound like you know this old codger that blasts what's going on in the business today. If you go to Facebook... And I've got—I joke about this. I've got 3,500 Facebook friends. I know three of them, hmm. you know. And and mostly it's it's wrestling-related people. But you look at the pictures, and the guy's profile page will say, "I'm a professional wrestler," and there he is. He's holding a championship belt, and he's at some VFW with two dogs humping in the background, <laughs> you know, in the back of the picture, photo bombing the picture. <laughs> And this guy's got a, you know, you see the tinfoil coming off the belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and, and you get You can six buy a better one at Target. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, right. God, yeah. And you got six people in the building, and there's hundreds of these promotions around the country. Back in the day, if you wanted to be a pro wrestler, and I know you'll attest to this, if you wanted to make it to the big time, you went to training camp. You know, in Minnesota here, Vern Gagne had one hell of a training camp. You look at the list of the roster of the guys that he put through, and what Vern would do, he would announce there's going to be a training camp, maybe 100 guys would show up, football players, baseball players, whatever, all, all walks of life. Within the first day, they were whittled down to about a dozen. Wow. Because, and this, wow. Is, this is fact because he would absolutely put them through hell. Him, Billy Robinson, guys like this. Where they would do the first day, they're doing 500 squats and they're running up a a hill with a picnic table on their back and and things like this. And they whittled it down. And if you wanted to wrestle, they didn't even smarten you up to the business Mm -hmm. for the first month that you were in there. They wouldn't really tell you. I mean, Vern, uh, Buddy Rose, Paul Pershman, my uh, my late pal, he told me that the first couple of matches he had, Vern didn't say, You're going to win, you're going to lose. He would go, he would say, this is the first time the people have seen you. Now, you two guys, you go out there and, and, and just show them what you can do for 15 minutes. Nobody tries to beat anybody. So in, instead of saying this is a work, he was kind of saying just you know, show yourself for a little while. Nowadays, it doesn't matter if you're trained, if you're not trained. So when you say has the business devolved it's fallen down a flight of stairs as far as i'm concerned
0: how does a guy how does a guy who's who's wrestling now even make it you know into into one of the two majors that are that are still out there you mean if you're an independent guy if you're guy? an independent guy i mean is, I, I know wwe has started some sort of training facility in florida
2: correct well, yes and from what i understand that's just phenomenal and is, is it also impossible to get into Yeah, uh, and and Jim Ross has talked about this, you know, for for every thousand resumes and tapes that they get in the mail, they might might even want to look at five guys, and of those five guys, maybe one of them will make it. Back in the day when you had the territories and you could go someplace and the options were out there, if you knew somebody, yeah, maybe you got a shot, you could get in. Now it's virtually impossible. Um, there's a couple of developmental territories, but for the most part, the independent wrestling scene—and this—this is what's sad, because pro wrestling is not WWE and it's not TNA. The real pro wrestling is at the independent level. Right. You know, it's your neighborhood gym or VFW, because that's going on every night. That's for 99% of the boys are, and girls are working. Uh, but, but. To get someplace, I mean, not only do you have to know somebody, you've got to you've got to be just superb, or you're not going anywhere. You're going to continue wrestling in front of 50 people. Right. Tell me a little bit about Saturday Night at
0: Ringside, how that started. I mean, it was locally on Channel 23, which is, I don't even know, it was UPN. It was it was the WB. I don't even remember what, how many different iterations it went through, but what. You know how did that show start? And we're we're looking at like 20 years since that show was on the air. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's hard to believe. Yeah, over. Yeah, we went off the air in March of '92. Um, interesting story. There's kind of a backstory to 23. Um, when I actually started getting noticed, uh, George Shire, you know George, the the wrestling authority, he and I were commentating for local matches here for Eddie Sharkey's Pro Wrestling America promotion at Ed George's in Fridley. And uh, at one point, Eddie got a booking to go to Winnipeg. There was a guy up there named Tony Condello, who actually used to work for Vern as a a TV enhancement guy. As they say, they they don't like the term jobbers. He's an enhancement guy. (laughs) Uh, He wrestled here as Tony Savoldi. Well, he ran a small promotion up in Winnipeg called West 4 Wrestling, and this was an offshoot of the NWA. And they were doing some TV tapings up there, so... He was bringing Eddie's crew up there. The main event was a guy named Bulldog Bob Brown, who since passed away, and Bruiser Brody. This was going to be their main event. So Eddie says, "You know, George, Mick, you want to go up and do TV? If you don't, know, for Tony Condello, because we had done it for Eddie. Sure, we'll go up there. And of course, that was a thrill. You know, my I said my first big-time interview was Bruiser Brody. You know, and it's like." Holy crap! You know, I'm so and I'm I'm scared to death interviewing this guy, and you know, nicest guy in the world. He says, "Hey, look, just relax. I'll carry it." You know that kind of thing. But when we came back from Winnipeg, we wanted somebody to critique the tapes. So George and I, being friends with Bockwinkel, said, "Nick, you want to come over to George's house and watch these tapes?" Outside of the main event guys in Winnipeg, the talent was just atrocious. I mean, it was it was really bad. The fact that they called this an NWA promotion was embarrassing. Uh, but you know, we're we're doing our stuff on TV. So Bachwinkle, "Here's the heavyweight champion of the world, lady, and he's sitting on George Shire's couch, in uh, in Cottage Grove. You know, eating a hot dog and belching or whatever he was doing <laughs> while we're uh, we're showing him the tapes, and he just said, "and." i'll backtrack nick had never smartened me up to the business here i'm his fan club president for 20 25 years he knew what i knew but we never talked about it and i never crossed that line i never would say to him oh come on you know i know what's going on so in that sense i think i earned nick's respect because i i behave myself so nick is watching these tapes and he says you know what is if you guys can get this crap over, if you can make this stuff sound like main event material, you're really going you to, you got a career here. So, you know, that's great. You know, I appreciate it. And, and this, again, is, is in uh, late 86. 1987, June or July, and I'll, I'll get to the SNR. <laughs> um, June or July of 87, I get a call from... Greg Ganya out of the blue and I mean really out of the blue because I had I'd wanted to work for the AWA for years and all I had done is is uh, print media publicity right Greg says, hey you know what we uh, how'd you like to come out and audition the AWA is looking for a ring announcer you know I've heard some good things about you how'd you like to try it and then maybe go to Vegas once a month and, and do the ring well, hey you know yeah what the hell? Went down there and auditioned, and, and uh, you know, I, th- I think Nick had already laid the groundwork, so there w- it wasn't really an audition more than it was formality. Right. So, I worked, I worked for the AWA TV from August of '87 till about March of '88. That's my whole tenure with the AWA. So, in 1988, I get a call from Paul Heyman and uh, paul had worked for Vern the same time that i had been there and then he left and he said joe pedesino in atlanta is starting to market a wrestling block you know it's like three four wrestling shows syndicated back to back to back channel 23 in minneapolis is looking to possibly do this and they want somebody to do wraparounds call joe pedesino call him up and he says yeah here's the person you want to talk to at channel 23 so I went down, and I, you know, same audition, and I look at those audition tapes, and I'm like a cardboard cutout. I mean, I, I, I'm just like immovable. Uh, I was so stiff. It was horrible. But about six weeks goes by, and I get a call, and they said, the gig is yours if you want it, and uh, I don't know how many, if they even had anybody else auditioning. They claim they did, um, but yeah, I mean, and from there, initially, I was going to be hired to do 30-second wraparounds, period. Right. And then I went to the producer and I said, "Hey, can we possibly, you know, spice this up a little bit? How about if I bring in a fan of the week?" Sure, we'll give you five minutes. Bring in a fan. Great of the idea. Week. How about if we do a trivia contest? Sure, we'll do trivia. How about if we, if I read some fan feedback letters? Blah blah blah. So the initial two minutes or three minutes that I had at the start doing wraparounds eventually evolved into a full thirty minutes of local tie-ins. And we would do angles in the studio, bring the wrestlers in, and and uh, had a four year run. It was a good run too. I re- and this is this is
0: how awesome my high school years were. Uh, I did a lot of babysitting Saturday nights. Uh, I had three younger brothers, <coughs> Kyle, and um, and I did a lot of babysitting for friends and family and stuff like that. And you know, when you're babysitting and the kids are pretty much too young to do anything, they go to bed early and. What do you do on a Saturday night when you're by yourself and they've locked the liquor cabinet? I, I and you were what eight? I, no, yeah. no, 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 no. If we're if we're talking late '80s into '92, I was formidable high school. I was you know mid-teens, you know, as as that was happening. And I, every Saturday night, you know, and that really, I mean, I watched WWF as as a youngster, you know, as, as if it was on TV. I was watching it. When that happened, and we got access to the NWA at the time, mm, right? And I, the, the convergence of WCW happened in the middle of yes, SNR. Yes. Yep. Okay, it, so yeah, it was it was NWA. You're just exposed to so much more. Cable TV is fantastic. I mean, I was a Cubs fan as as a eight year old because it was on sure. WGN, which was a standard cable you know channel, and it, it just I had access to it. You know, access now. You got to think for any fan with the internet. How, how has that changed a wrestling fan's perspective? Because they're, the mysteriousness of wrestling and, and everything that goes along with it, and I say mysteriously loosely, but, you know, they have access to so much information. They understand the terms. You know, they understand what what's happening. They understand storyline. They understand, you know, how, how promoters are working these angles. I mean, how does, how does that, how did you guys
2: kind of grasp that as it was changing with the internet? What I was doing the show, I was I treaded kind of a, a walked the fine line because I had a, a core audience that that were smart to what was going on, but my job was not to do that. My job was to still play the wrestling announcer and in a sense I still do that when I go to the matches and I call play by play. you know I'm still putting over the business. I'm still selling the moves. A, a heel is still a heel, a face is still a face. that's my job. so, as much as I wanted to get out on TV and say, oh, you know, blah blah blah," I, I didn't do it. I would – it was groundbreaking in the sense that I would read fan letters from people asking what happened to so-and-so, whatever happened to this guy, that guy. That hadn't been done in wrestling television, I mean, let alone in the wrestling block. Right. So while I'm explaining where this guy is, I have to be very careful. I mean, somebody would say, who's that wrestling under the mask in – I wouldn't tell him. i right. say, I know it, but, you know, I can't tell you. People have said to me, why don't you bring back SNR, and this goes to your point, you can't. You can't bring back, I mean, not only be, to me it's like Camelot, you know, that was an age, it was the best four years I've had in, in the announcing business, but you can't do it because I, you know, people don't have to ask me where Joe Blow is. Click on the Internet. They'll tell you where he is. I, you know, they know more in five minutes than I could tell him in five weeks on SNR. So in that sense, it's impossible. You just can't do it. You can't fake your way through it. The mystique of wrestling itself, Bobby Heenan says the magic is gone. Pro wrestling in the United States is dead. That might be taking it you know, a little bit too far, but I know what he's saying. Um, the rabbit is out of the hat to somebody like me, I find that infuriating. Mm-hmm. I used to—it's interesting. I used to hate it when the guys would kayfabe me, and you know the oh, the, yeah, the kayfabe yeah. term. You know, it's the the code of silence. I would hate it again because I knew what I knew. But I've got so much respect for these guys that protected the business, especially the second and third generation guys like the Hannicks and the Bachwinkles mm-hmm. and, and the Ganyas. Nowadays. You, you talked about, you know, they know the terms, they know this, they know that, and all these guys that protected the business back then, Dusty Rhodes, mm-hmm. Mick full, everybody's doing a shoot interview. Everybody is explaining the inner workings of the business. Everybody is ex- talking about the road stories and, you know, and blading and on and on and on. So there's, for me, as an announcer, Wow. <laughs> and a guy. Hold
0: on, the motion sensor? Wow, the lights the just, lights. Went, lights out just the went out. The lights just went out. Let's see if
2: whole we can get Kyle to go
0: dance in front of the sensor. <laughs> see if you can find Vern out
2: there. There we go. Oh, there we go. Motion uh, Vern might right. be there with a wire cutter. Yeah, wow.
1: wait a second. Now we're locked in. We're going to get yeah. our butts kicked here.
0: That just uh-huh. means we've all been sitting very, very still. That's right. For a very long period of time.
2: <laughs> we're we're, something. <laughs> what you're intently listening is what it is. That's what it that's is. It. You yes. know? We're, we're, we're focused. Yes. We took all the energy out of the room. You know?
1: so, <laughs> this is, this is, yeah. that started when I. Started no, I too. actually <laughs> thought a wrestler was going to come in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
0: running. Well, I was waiting for the pyro. That's all yeah, I that's was what waiting we were, for. Yeah. You know, Ladies and, and gentlemen, Yeah, I thought you were going to start it's announcing. So stupid. I mean,
2: we're, we're talking, you, know, you know, all these guys giving up the, the secrets to the business. What's interesting about it, Sean, is, you know, you mentioned people know and they know the terms. A lot of people think they know, mm-hmm. and that's really infuriating too. If you go to a, if you go to an indie match now, the matches are so choreographed that if the boys miss a spot, you got the people chanting at them, you know. And you know the phrase they chant at them: and "You messed up." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so a lot of people think they know. They call them sparks. You know, they're they're smart to the business, but they're still, you know, still on the outside. So is that smart? mark is that yes okay obviously. E- exactly keep it keep them at arm, uh, you know arm's length yeah uh but again what am I going to do you know people have said you know you think the business has passed you by no I don't think so I I don't think the business has passed me by I think it's been a real regression in the business I miss the old days everybody's doing their high spots you know you go into a locker room and you got a couple of kids sitting there for 20, 25 minutes, you do this, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this. We had a hope spot, and then a 2 count, And it's said, like, what are you doing? Just get out there and wrestle. Tell a story. Don't get your spots in. Have a little psychology. Take the fans on that roller coaster ride that wrestling is supposed to do, and and go home.
1: I think you just nailed it there, and that's exactly why I think – it, it could have a future if, if things changed a little bit. But uh, I think the exci- you know, you have, you have the characters, you have, you know, there's a lot to it, just like a soap opera. I mean, people still watch soap operas and they you know, I can't, but uh, maybe Sean can when he babysits. But, uh, you know. <laughs> well, I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, nice. Yeah, my sister but did e- that too. But, e- yeah.
0: Even with the regression that you, you, know, that you feel is, is happening, I mean, you're still part of it. Yeah. You're still there. Yeah. You it hasn't dissuaded you to get out of the business at all. I don't think you're ever going to leave wrestling. No,
2: and that and that's I'll be the first to admit that. Whatever whatever the the problems I have with the business, I'm hooked first of all. Secondly, if the business hadn't changed and this is this is the double-edged sword. If the business hadn't changed to where Vern was trying to compete with Vince McMahon back in the day. And because of that, he had to do all this talent shuffle and everything. I might not be working today. You know, an old school announcer, you know, look at Jim Ross, poor guy. He's not working anymore. He's an old school announcer. You know, the Tony Schiavone's of the world, uh, the, you know, whoever they, the old school announcers aren't doing it anymore. They're taking guys that are stand-up comics or whatever, and they can be molded into whatever they need but I'm pretty sure if the business hadn't changed and Vern was making money back in the 80s I would have never gotten in
0: how do you how do you stay how do you evolve with it uh I mean do you are you a podcast guy I mean obviously today you are but I mean is that something that that you're you know looking at i mean is doing something on the side besides just announcing the matches yeah
2: yeah i mean i i I try to stay involved and wade keller at the pro wrestling torch i've you know known wade for 25 years and you know there's another guy you know the 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 dirt sheets as they call them when they first started printing those back in the day the boys hated them they just hated them because you know who's the mole? who's the plant how are they finding this stuff out now they can't wait to talk to these guys, the, the, the Internet guys. Um, so I do stuff with Wade. You know, he's got what he calls a VIP panel for Pro Wrestling Torch Online. So I answer some questions. I'll do a podcast uh, still heavily involved with Steel Domain Wrestling, obviously, in the, uh, somewhat of a booker capacity. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's never going to leave me, you know. Have I made a lot of money in this business? Never. Never, ever. I mean, I've had a couple of fairly decent runs um, and I, you know, I'm I'm lucky too. And I've said this before. If there's a if there's a second tier in the wrestling announcing business outside of the big two or the big three, I've been there. You know, I've come really, really close. Had my chance, you know, to audition for Vince back in the day. I didn't do it. And uh, but I've been lucky, and, and I I'll I'll stay a part of it. It's it's ingrained in me. I can't deny I watch Monday Night Raw. and I'm one of the first one of the first guys to get online and say talk about what I hated and what I didn't hate. You know the the armchair Booker, but uh, pro wrestling is it's my life. It's my you, passion.
0: You mentioned having a chance to in, to, you know, try out for Vince. Mm. I I don't know that I've heard that story. Are, are you willing to tell
2: that story? Sure, sure. I mean, what yeah. what um, happened there? 1988, SNR is about a month in, and the same time that uh, this is going on, my daughter, my second child is born, so I got a newborn baby at home, and out of the blue, I get a call from Black Jack Lanza, and Jack is an agent with WWF at the time, and he says, you know, I saw your stuff and watching you for the last month or so. We're going to be doing a TV taping up in Duluth, you know, in a month or whatever it is, and Vince is going to come in for the taping. Would you be interested in coming up and and calling a dark match, just kind of auditioning for Vince? And, you know, I have a full-time job at the time. I'm working 40 hours a week, and, you know, I had just started SNR, and I got the new baby at, at home. And I said, you know, Jack, that sounds great, but here's the situation, boom, 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 If I I can't make to this TV taping, am I shooting myself in the foot for down the road? He says, no. He says, you just let me know. He says, I'll get a hold of Vince. I'll explain the situation to him. I'll put you over to him, and, you know, you'll be fine. Well, I couldn't make it. it. The timing was all off, and I didn't think I was ready. Uh, you can announce television matches you know, at home all you want for 30 years, but when you get that phone call and all of a sudden you're going to be in, in the spotlight, I say, God, I, I don't know. And uh, so I said to Jack, I said, okay, I'll get back to you. Now, he swears me to secrecy. He says, now, listen, whenever we do something like this, you can't tell a soul. You can't tell anybody that I called you. You can't tell anybody you're coming up for an audition. You don't breathe a word to anybody. So I'm thinking, ah, I, I probably can't do this. get off the phone next day, and I talked to my wife at the time and, and uh, just, just couldn't do it. Now I realize I don't have Jack's number. I have no way to get back to Jack Lanza to give him an answer one way or another, and he's told me don't breathe a word to anybody. Nobody I can even call and say, hey, you got Jack Lanza's number. So I, did, I didn't make it to the audition, and the WWF ran a show at the Met Center Maybe two weeks after the fact, and uh, with Channel Twenty Three, I had access to go in the back. First guy I see when I walk in is Jack Lanza. He says, "Come here." He says, "You're an a-hole." Wow! I said, "Well, I knew it, but I I was surprised to hear from Jack Lanza." And he said, "Here, I've been putting you over to Vince." And you didn't have the, you know, you couldn't call me back. You didn't have the courtesy. I said, Jack, my mistake. You know, I didn't have your phone number. I didn't know how to get a hold of you. And that was it. That was the end of it. Mm-hmm. Never got another call. But I also never sent in any audition tapes. I to anybody. And that's my fault. Right. You know, I, they're not gonna. They're God not gonna damn, there me. was no caller ID back then. Yeah, yeah. Call and me on the cell. Phone. Can you imagine <laughs> just your phone rings. It says Black Jack Lanza. Right, on the <laughs> yeah, caller <Black> ID. Jack. <laughs> And, you know, and what was interesting about that, you know, and when I started SNR, it was just on the heels of working for Vern, so everything was kind of happening all at once. And uh, just to backtrack, uh, and I know you've heard this this story about Vern in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, Vern and I got into it a little bit at one of the TV tapings, and uh, the most ridiculous thing in the world. Uh, Larry Nelson, who had been the AWA announcer, decides he's not going to go back to Vegas. He's had it. He can't deal with Vern. Vern's stressed out all the time. He's getting yelled at. He says, you're on your own, buddy. So I I went out to Vegas, and this is in uh, Thanksgiving of 87. They're doing a show out there. And I'm, you know, welcoming everybody, and those TV tapings were grueling. You know, they would tape out four or five weeks of TV, and as the ring announcer, and I was also doing a little bit of play-by-play with Rod Trongard at the time. So you're there for like four or five hours, and it's just atrocious. But they take a break about midway through, and Vernon Gregg Greg had told me, now at intermission, we want you to plug this big show that's coming up, the Christmas show. And what we want you to hit real hard is the return of the Midnight Rockers. Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty. No problem. So they're, they're gonna take a break and I'm, and I'm sitting at the table. I, I know you, you, you know this story. And uh, I announce, ladies and gentlemen, you know, get ready and tickets are available tonight for the next big, the Christmas event here. Boom, boom, boom. and I'm going down the roster, of the names that are gonna be there. Jerry Blackwell, and I, I said, and Shawn Michaels, and the crowd starts to pop a little bit. Marty Janetti. Uh, the midnight boom Roof comes off the place Get your tickets tonight We'll be back for our you know, second part of the taping in just a minute Vern is sitting right next to me I look at him And his face is the color of a stop sign Rod Trongard The broadcast colleague Gets up and leaves the table I'm thinking what happened here So Vern, Vern says Come here He pulls me by the lapels <laughs> And we're not in the back room. We're sitting at the announce table, and we got people going out to the concession stand to buy a hot dog. And he's got me by the lapels, and he says, why did you have to call him Shawn Michaels and Marty Gennetti? i like, Vern, because that's their names. He says, no, no, no. They were the Midnight Rockers. You don't need to add them. I said, okay, Vern, that's fine. He says, you know what? Guys like you have cost me millions of dollars. Over millions now. of dollars. <laughs> Not a millions. few bucks here. Millions. Millions of dollars. He takes off his glasses. Boom, he throws them on the announce table. Off the table they go. The lens pops out of his glasses. He's having a stroke. So we go back, and, of course, I get back into the ring with this crap eaten grin on my face, you know, welcome back to more AWA wrestling. Go back at the end of the show, and Rod Trongard says he says he's done that to me before. I just let it go in one ear and out the other. Get back to Minneapolis, and I call Bachwinkle. I got you know just to have a shoulder to cry on. Hmm. Well, Nick had just signed on with WWE as a as a road agent, so he's got no no stake in this. Mm -hmm. He says tell Vern to stick it up his ass. He says yeah you don't (laughs) need it. I said Vern or Nick, I need this gig. You know I so I wrote Vern a letter. Handwritten. Uh, handwritten. Yeah. You Damn right, handwritten. No <laughs> computer, no no email. No typewriter. Nope. Texting. And I said, Vern, you know, you're the boss. If I do something wrong, tell me, but please next time do it in the back. You know, it was really embarrassing. About a week before the next show is coming up, I still haven't heard from Vern. Well, then I get a phone call, and again, this is at work. Why the Ganyas decide to call me at my full-time job all the time? <laughs> and I pick up the phone, and, and it's Vern. He says, Curse, I'm yelling at you again. Oh, no.
0: Which is weird, because he's really been known for, like, a gentle bedside manner. Yeah, yeah. Vern was really known for just, you know, gingerly, you know, talking to people. When the
2: camera was on. Oh, sure, of course. When the camera was on. And uh, so he says, did I really yell at you that way in Vegas? I said, "Uh, Vern, you did. He says, I'm sorry, it wasn't you. I got a lot of stress, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. So I go back, and I do one more taping with with the AWA. Now they're going to do a taping in January or February or whatever in Bismarck, North Dakota. And why they decided not to do it in Vegas, maybe they couldn't book the showboat. I don't know. Maybe the the Mills brothers might have been on vacation that (laughs) week or something. And I couldn't make this taping. They wanted to do it on a Friday night. Again, I got a full-time job, and it's a blizzard. I mean, it is a full-blown blizzard. So they brought in Lee Marshall to replace me to to do the TV. Come March of 88, a couple of weeks later, Minneapolis Auditorium, last match ever, or February of 88, last match ever at the Minneapolis Auditorium, I went up to Vern, I said, Vern, so I'm assuming I'm, I'm booked on the next taping in Vegas. He says, well, you know, he says, if, are, are you willing to pay your own flight fare for the opportunity to work with the AWA on ESPN national television? I said, no. And that was the end of that. Right after that is when I got the call from Paul E. So everything had happened, boom, boom,
0: boom. And so that's kind of a lucky progression for you.
2: I mean. Well, it was, it was a progression. Progression, I mean. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so that whole thing with, with leaving the AWA, doing and SNR, getting the call from Lanza, all happens within about a three, four-month period. So it was just. It and you have
0: a new baby at home. Yeah, yeah. And you got a full-time gig. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Stress. That's. that's <laughs> <laughs> Stress. So now what? Now what?
2: Uh, what's in the future for you? Uh, there are some talks about getting back on television. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's we all title. know you were yeah. going
0: to be a broad, you were going to be a you know a journalist. Radio guy, yeah. and face for radio. I mean, obviously, look at all three hey, of wait. us. Well, I'm talking. I mean, look at all of us. We're we're
2: radio faces for you sure. You know, we really
0: are. You're more of a baby face. We're radio yeah, faces. Although I'm healed, oh, that's I <laughs>
2: but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there is some talk, and we're really, really close. Uh, I was approached by somebody at a TV station in town here several months ago, and he said, "We want to do something with you." And you know, I I've, I've been I haven't been off television one way or another even going back 25 years if it was cable access and then we were on channel 45 for a while so i've always been out there and i'll probably you know continue to be out there doing something
0: now can you can you even give us a hint as to was is it one of the major stations locally is it a cable station it's not a cable station
2: it's it's one of the broadcast tv stations and uh you know it's it's tough it's not easy because we we don't want to do just your old-fashioned oh well run-of-the-mill wrestling show we want to do something unique, so we have an unproven commodity. So when you go to sponsors and you say, hey, you want to roll the dice on this one? Eh, I don't know. You have some old VHS tapes in the back, I'm sure,
0: right? Like, you can bust out SNR tapes and, like, here's what we're going to try to not do. Why? Because, <laughs> I mean, you're not talking about doing cut-ins. You're not talking about doing three-minute segments. You're no. talking about... An hour show, half hour show? Yeah,
2: yeah. We're talking about uh, doing something different, uh, incorporating some of the stuff that we used to do on SNR. Again, because nobody's doing it. And uh, But we'll see. I, I think we're going to get there. I'm pretty hopeful that we're going to get there. And truthfully, I can't wait.
0: Where did you tape SNR? Was that
2: at the 23 Studios? Yeah, yeah. We started out in North or Northeast Minneapolis. Yeah. They were on 25th and Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And then they moved to uh, kind of midstream. They moved to the... Como Avenue right. across from the fairgrounds. Where's
0: the set? Do you know where the, does that set still exist somewhere?
2: I was at the studio not that long ago talking to some of the people that I used to work with, and the set supposedly is in storage someplace. I was told when I left and that was another story altogether, but I was told when I when they canceled SNR that they were gonna kind of trash the set and the tapes and everything else. From what they're telling me now. The tapes are there. The masters—they're on three-quarter, of course, and the, the set is someplace, uh, someplace at the bottom of a wood pile or in somebody's garage or shack or something. That, yeah,
0: I'd like to think it's in a in a wooden crate, kind of like the Ark of the Covenant from from Raiders. You know, oh. you would, huh? Just in some huge <laughs> warehouse. Yeah. Well, good luck with yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, just just very, and I, I know we're we're pressed for time here, but I just I I want to talk just how we actually were canceled on SNR, and again, yeah. this is. Uh, this is a real bone of contention. This has eaten away at me for twenty five years channel twenty three was always in kind of financial trouble, and towards the end, about the last year, maybe the last six months of doing a show, they were purchased by Linda Brooke and some of her some of her uh friends whoops careful and they uh, they decided that wrestling and s n r was not family oriented entertainment. They wanted to go to G-rated stuff, not just PG-rated stuff, you know, religious morals or whatever it was back in the day. And they sat with me. Uh, I don't think Linda Brooke was there, but some of her henchmen were there, and they said, why should we keep you on the air? And I said, well, you know, here's the deal. We're the highest-rated show on 23. We've had a four-year run. We've got a great following. We do stuff for the community. We do, Ben. oh, this is wonderful. So I go into tape show number 200,
0: I'm gonna stop you right there. We're out of time, folks. We gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I wanted to do the mic a bit the whole the time. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. We're out of time. <laughs> we we got the Yeah.
2: Um, I go into tape show number 200. I got my script all laid out, and one of the producers pulls me in, and he says, "This is it, buddy. I said, what, what do you mean? They've decided they're they're gonna cancel you. This is the last show." And I'm just absolutely. Devastating. And he told you this before the taping? Yeah, right before the taping. Nice. Right when I got in the studio and I saw Linda Brooke walking in the halls, didn't make eye contact with me, nothing. And he said, now watch what you say out there tonight. He said, because if you say anything that's really negative, it'll never see the light of day. They'll never air the show. They've got no, no interest in it. So you know, I had to kind of scramble, and I, I didn't even—I don't remember who I had guest guestbook, but I called Eddie Sharkey because Eddie was a regular on the show. I said, "You want to come down?" They've—they've they've told me this is it, Eddie, and and uh, the station. So I—I I went in. I was a nice boy, you know. I went on. I just said, "You know, there's a management decision where this yeah. is it. This is the last show." I think I personally—I used to have a post office box where I would get the SNR mail, you know, no Gmail or anything back sure, then. Sure, of course. And I must have got four or five hundred letters, wow. you know, like within the first week. People really ticked off at the way they did it, and that was it. Four years, four-year run, and gone. Trapdoor, goodbye. Wow, that quick.
0: That's well, and that's TV for you, right there. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's don't let
2: the door. So you want to
1: get back into it then, huh? Oh, oh yeah.
2: As long as I don't have to work with Miss Brooke. Yeah, there you go. Um, Where
0: is where is she now? Do you know?
2: um, I can only hope. It's warm. Uh, okay, I, I it's think warm we, I think we there, figured yeah. where she is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the interesting thing is too, the ratings started tanking when they were doing that G-rated wow. stuff, and they brought wrestling back. What what form did they bring it back as? Uh, they had, I think, like a syndicated show. Just oh, okay. you know, whoever it was back in the day, they ran a couple of syndicated shows back to back, but they determined that you know producing the half-hour SNR was just cost too much money. You know. That's
0: crazy. Yeah. Well, you. You know, I've known you for only a couple of years now, just because of our experience on Torval. And you know, I I've cherished every minute I've gotten to spend with you. Thank you. You're not just a wrestling guy. I, I I would put it, you know, obviously. There's there's one of your um your wrestling fans that you've reached out to and done a lot of really good things for, and that's Gavin. And I could you just talk about Gavin just a little bit and how he's doing and, and who he
2: is. Uh, kind of the story of where you were introduced to him sure, absolutely uh, Gavin Pearson, I believe Gavin is uh, seven years old right now, lives in Ramsey, Minnesota, and he was diagnosed with a uh, with a brain tumor, I think at about age six and it's an it is a non malignant brain tumor, but it was growing so fast that it was just basically taking up uh, the poor kid 's head his his whole skull. And I met Gavin at a steel domain wrestling show a couple of years ago, and this is before things really started to get bad for him. And uh, he was just introduced. You know, one of the one of the guys said, "Here, here's Gavin." He brought him into the locker room to meet everybody, and sweetest kid in the world. I mean, for a, for a six-year-old kid at the time, he's you know, yes sir, no ma'am. I mean, this is just a delightful kid. And Christy Hemme who works with TNA, it just took such a shine to him. Just loved him. Lucky Gavin. Oh, <laughs> you think? Uh, but at any rate, Gavin, the, the situation kind of deteriorated and he had, he's had multiple surgeries. Mm. And for a long time, there was an experimental drug that Pfizer Corporation had not tried on kids his age yet. That hopefully would if not shrink the tumor, it would stop the tumor so stop the growth so the doctors could go in and laser the tumor so you know long story short that that's kind of the backstory to who Gavin is he's had that drug since Pfizer finally knuckled under and gave him the drug and it and it stopped the growth of the tumor, but he's had other stuff going on, and you know the poor kid he's on you know all these steroids and everything else and and uh, the wrestling community has reached out to him. And the way we got involved, WWE ran a show that I did not attend. They were at the Target Center. And somebody tried to get Gavin in the back to meet some of the guys. And whoever the WWE road agents were were just standoffish. Nope, can't do it. And uh, Ed Hellier, the promoter of Steel Domain Wrestling, got a call. I, I don't know if it was Gavin's dad or grandfather that actually called Ed and said, hey, is there anybody? Can we do anything for him? We're down at the Target Center right now, and they're stonewalling us. They won't let him in. So Ed gets a hold of Arya Davari, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, steel domain, uh, one of the regulars, and Arya happens to be at the show. So Gavin meets Arya, not in the back in the locker room, but, you know, it was, it was a thrill for him to meet a wrestler, Arya Davari. And Ed says, I said, I'm furious. I said I'm going to write this up on Facebook. You know, all those bastards, they can't, you know, you know, I'm I'm going to vent on Facebook, which is what I do. Right. That's all I do. And Ed says, "No, no, no, you got to let it go a little bit, you know, just take it easy." Well, I wasn't about to let it go. So I posted on Facebook and I get a message from a guy, Sal Correnti, and Sal is a former referee. Manager he's been involved in the business for a hundred years, and he's got connections so he called the WWE headquarters and Talked to some gal in public relations And again, this is on a this is on a Saturday he makes the phone call and within 24 hours Because they're scared to death if Vince finds out about this and finds out that Gavin was stonewalled that way he, It's gonna hit the fan Boom, boom, boom. Things get in motion. Within 48 hours, Gavin has a telephone call from John Cena. <laughs> and I know Cena was overseas. He wasn't even in the States. He was on some tour with the WWE. And it started rolling after that. He, he call him, you know, this is John Cena. He sent him a package of, of stuff. We have since run a benefit for Gavin, collected a lot of toys and and wrestling memorabilia and what have you, just to keep a smile on this kid's face, and uh, you know we're hoping for the best. He's had some incredible ups and downs with this deal, but John Cena knows very well who Gavin is. You know, Channel Four. You know the other stations. A lot of people are noticing and have talked about Gavin. What the future is for him, we don't know. Bottom line is. You had to, somebody had to say something, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but somebody had to say this isn't right. You know, you're letting all these jamokes in the back who have no business being there, but you won't let a seven-year-old kid with a brain tumor meet some of his heroes. And uh, I got to say about John Cena, this guy, you know, for whatever you know, he gets booed out of the building half the time. This is the real John Cena. The, the guy that has done more for Make-A-Wish than anybody else. I think he's done, like, 300-plus Make-A-Wish. Yeah, he's, he's set some serious records or something. It's with incredible. That. Wow. And uh, and he's the real deal. And uh, so so God bless him and the people that got things in motion with WWE. But uh, but Gavin is just, you know, we've adopted him. You know, he's, he's just kind of our guy. And uh, we'll
1: see what happens. Cool. That's what's great about this business. It can do such amazing things
2: well it's so
0: intimate too with how close these these wrestlers and and everybody in the business can be now with you know their their fans i mean it's used to be like you said it used to be like a publication where you would print out you know a fan letter was it weekly i'm sure it was yes and now it's it's instantaneous you got that
2: digital media that, that you know you have access all the time what's interesting too is you know and i complained a little bit earlier on in the podcast about uh uh, the lack of kayfabe these days. But you yeah, some of the wrestlers, I remember uh, hearing Pat Patterson talking about this. And Pat, of course, is a Vince guy, so he'll say anything. You know, Vince, opened up the can of worms as far as exposing the business. But Pat said, now we don't have to not interact with the fans. Now we don't have to, you know, sit apart from each other in the, in the restaurants or whatever. Now we can breathe easy. Now we're accessible. So yeah, I guess there is that. Maybe maybe there's some moderation. Maybe you know, for a guy like me, maybe you can you know kind of you know take it easy a little bit. But I can understand that. And like you say, you know, with the with the uh, internet and everything, everything is accessible. There's all these access, you know, pre pay-per-view access uh, events that they have and everything else. They didn't do that back in the day. So.
0: Well, you know, and I did want to ask you real quick before um, before we wrap it up here, we just have a few minutes left. But the the new um, the the monthly subscription to WWE, I mean, this could be groundbreaking for all networks, don't
2: you think? I think so. You know, Vince has said that this is this is the way of the future. This is the he way said that
0: future. about the XFL too, though.
2: <laughs> me hate me, or you me, hate me, or whatever. Hate he hate me. He hate me yeah <laughs> i will
0: I will remind you though he did have cameras in the women the cheerleaders' locker room i think is is what they were really promoting heavy That's right before the
2: game. nothing wrong with that
0: but you know some some good things came out of that. i mean the 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 aerial cameras on the cables and stuff sure. that was xFL stuff, and now the NFL uses it like it's you know like they always have been hey. but but this new it's nine ninety nine a month for, for a, now. For now, yeah, right, yeah. for a monthly subscription. But it bypasses cable, don't you think? I mean, it gives you some access. Sure it does.
2: Sure it does. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, if, if they're going to deliver what they say they are, and you've got this 24-7 access not only to their old library, and that's, what, of course, what I'll be looking at is, is the old stuff. And I don't know how far back they'll go. Hopefully it's pre-Hulk Hogan. Sure. I'm begging them to at least go back mm-hmm. to about 1970. Uh, but for that ninety nine nine ninety nine, and then to get the pay-per-views, which are normally
0: sixty bucks. Sixty
2: bucks in it's that, crazy. You know it'll go up. There's no question about it. But I mean, I got to give them credit. This is uh, this is really taken everybody by storm. Everybody's talking about this. And TNA, I'm sure they were on their last legs anyway. But they just got to be choking on this one. Sure, it's gonna be horrible for them. Thank you for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, We'd, we we really loved do having do you here, it.
0: talking to you for an hour. I mean, there's so many other avenues, mm-hmm. directions we could have gone, but I think we only have an hour. You, um, where can people find you now? Obviously, um, Steel Domain Wrestling, you're yes. doing a lot of the sh- those shows still. Are, you're online, you have a presence. Is it just on Facebook? Do you have a Twitter? I do not have a Twitter. I haven't tweeted yet. I think you need to look into Twitter because it, it fits you your style. Really? I, and, yeah. you know, I know a lot of people, yeah, look at her, she's rolling her eyes. <laughs> yeah. that, that quick little, you know, informative comment or, or snarky comment, Twitter is, is fantastic for I'll them.
2: probably get there. You know, I mean, just you know, a week ago, I decided to buy CDs. You know, you know the, nice the wrestling thing, though, albums away.
0: The nice thing, though, is that you can do, you can do a, a heel account if you need to. Ah. You can do like a not Mick Karch, and ah. then really just kind of dig into
2: whatever you want to dig By into. By the way, that, that day will come. <laughs> I am going to have, make a heel turn. I don't know when it is. Well, let's I've been say, waiting for it for 25 years. You know what? I, I'm telling you, it is going to be the greatest day of my announcing life. I am going to turn heel, such a heel. You're
0: man. just going to, you're going to channel your inner Heenan. Is see, that? Now that's yeah. a show. Right Ever there. since he said, "Get out of here, kid."
2: Oh, that, that, that was. Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> it's, it's going to be fun. Awesome.
1: Well, I can't wait for that day. Do you want him to take us out of the show then? You,
0: let's, let's hear some, his, uh, some
2: radio or some wrestling.
1: How about some wrestling? Yeah, you want to take the show out with? uh what do, I do? my old SNR. But yeah, let's Catch hear phrase. it.
2: Let's hear now, it. What, what are you guys? Once a week? Are you doing this? Once, no? yeah, do it. yeah, once, once a, week. a week. Body slams and pinfalls to you and yours. We'll see you next week here on Stewed Media.
1: Love it. Love it. That's great.
2: Love it. Thank you. Oh, my God. That pleasure. was awesome. God, I ramble. Jeez. <laughs>